Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the wizard and glass of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka, you know it's a really heavy band, Blue Cheer. Oh god. Um, I've probably done that bit before, but I'll probably do it twice a year forever. <laughs> you know, although last summer I did listen to the Blue Cheer demo. Yeah. Like the, the summertime blues demo. That shit is killer. Is it's, it actually but, good? It's crushing, and it sounds... The studio recordings are just shit compared to them. The studio recordings are all terrible. They sound like The Who, but worse. The demo sounds like fucking noisecore, but slow. It's awesome. <laughs> so so we're, we're saying the demos were better even for proto-metal bands in the 60s. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sorry. And on that note, I am... The black metal guy, aka medieval porno grind band. Kit, could you could you elaborate on what what is happening in your mind's eye right now? <laughs> Imagine the song title potentially. You get sort of like uh, gang banged by mid gang banged by cum homunculi. <laughs> <laughs> that's solid <laughs> i have uh it's 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 inspired in part I, you know I, I i've taken some influence here it's, i have <laughs> been sitting on a song title uh raped to death by centaurs for uh several years now so. <laughs> <laughs> that's for the sort of um th- that's the sort of like gore grind uh you know, kind of gore grind GBK crossover. <laughs> well, I don't know who is. I was hanging out with somebody the other day, and we were talking about the idea of like, uh, what if you did wizard grind, where you're doing like epic Dorian scale melodies, but played like hyper speed sawing napalm death style. You know, just forty five second songs. Hey. About- Smiting hey, Balrogs and shit. I mean, I mean that's basically how I write black metal when I write it in four <laughs> four. <laughs> when, when it's not in Graveland triplets, that's how it sounds. <laughs> so that's the move. Okay, yeah. I think that's a, we we definitely have to. It's do just something. three minutes long and it never stops. <laughs> yeah, well, for for us, it's like forty five seconds. It's like yeah, pick the big yeah. Dorian melody, just go 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 way too yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, it's a pretty good concept. I'll yeah, yeah, that. wizard grind. You know, we we need a new mm-hmm. a new core. Um, speaking of core, let's talk, let's do a show. Uh, let's talk about our first record of the night. Uh, a Ledney core stalwart, <laughs> as I've, uh, come to refer to this style. Uh, we've got the new record by Father Befouled titled Crowned in Veneficum. Uh, out on Everlasting Spew Records. If anyone's wondering at home, yes, I did look up how to pronounce that word before coming onto the show. Yeah, nice uh, one. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Uh, it's just like old-timey word for poison, you know, so like crowned uh-huh. in poison or, you know, plague. Solid. Yeah, so uh, Father Befouled is a band that I've talked about a fair amount on the show because uh, I'm a pretty big fan of them, and you've never heard like a, a full record. Have you even heard a song by them before? I don't think so. They're just a central terminus reference point for yeah, yeah. You know, they've come up in the Pro Sanctus reviews. They've come up, um, you know, in a lot of that stuff we were covering last summer, like upon the altar and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of background for people. So Father Befouled are from Georgia. The members of the band are in all sorts of other things. Um, like one of the guitarists is also in Thos Ayala, whose first record we covered last year. Um, 
one or two of the guys now. Yeah, I think it's uh, both of the members of Incoffination are in Father mm. Defell. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they've got, you know, another dozen and a half projects spread between them. So these are all pretty prolific musicians. But Father Befeld has, for about the past 15 years, been seemingly the primary band for all of them. Uh, so this is kind of interesting. I have to do like a brief rant to stop me if it goes too long. But just in prep, I was kind of curious. I was looking at old reviews of uh, of uh, Father Befeld records, just seeing what the critical opinion was. And what's interesting is a lot of people like Father Befeld, but they're not especially warmly received critically. Hmm. Um, you know, I just kept... So, like, Metal Archives likes them, but critics don't. Actually, no. Metal Archives is, like, semi-warm on them, but not a whole lot. Um, What I found weird was people were constantly saying, oh, it sounds like Incantation. It sounds like Incantation. This is just... And the, the thing that actually, like, got my goat that I had to talk about was people saying, oh, it's just another Incantation clone. Mm. Well... Here's the thing, guys, a little bit of a history lesson. So uh, in the mid-2000s, when we were coming up, Incantation was basically fucking dead, and very few people were listening to Incantation. The first Father Befouled record came out in 2008 alongside uh, Dead Congregation's Grave of the Archangels, and then the first Prosanctus and Fairy record came out a couple years after that in 2010. What you're hearing isn't just another Incantation clone. This is one of the bands that created the wave of Incantation clones that you're all sick of now. Um, These are some of the first guys, you know, in this era who went back to Incantation in a really significant way and started playing with those sounds. Um, Before that, the Incantation style of death metal had basically been dead for almost 10 years. I mean, Father Befouled were instrumental in bringing that back alongside Dead Congregation, Prosanctus and Fairy, and this uh, this big list of kind of Midwestern and Southern bands that were... There was some Australian band, but I forget their name. Uh, not uh, Titan I, Blood, right? No, no, Titan Blood, I think, are Spanish or Portuguese. Oh, for some reason, I thought they were... Yeah, whatever. Oh. Um, but anyway... Spanish. Uh, yeah. So, so that just drove me insane. It's what's fascinating is so few people know the history. They think that Father Befeld is part of that wave of imitators, when really they were instrumental in establishing a style. You know, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. sort of neo incantation style. And additionally, it doesn't just sound like fucking incantation. There's a lot more beyond incantation that sounds like. What it really sounds like is a kind of agglutinative idea of all of Paul Letney's early stuff. So there, of course, you have incantation, but you've got Profanatica and you've got Havohe. And especially in Father Befal's later material, you've got these big streaks of sort of modern doom stuff that even incantation never fully explored. So. To wrap it up, yes, obviously this sounds substantially like Incantation, but don't get this confused for a band that came out three years ago and started doing this. They're the reason those other bands exist. Yeah, indeed, that that's the confusing thing, is that because there's something original about it, because they were distilling the Incantation sound into... Uh, well, because they were distilling all the Ledney projects into this synthesized blasting incantation thing, uh, they helped create the um, th- they helped kind of create the like 
the thing that's become pastiche right mm-hmm. yeah. like in some way this sounds to me i mean i, I hadn't actually heard on radical goth until we listened to it for the show a couple of years ago but mm-hmm. um uh but this sounds if you listen to this and just be like what does this sound like it sounds more like the various kinds of um uh incantation worship or cavern course style bands than incantation itself However, that's because they all ripped off the synthesis these guys created. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean... Because uh, it doesn't really sound like dry early 90s. <laughs> oh, pardon me. We've got a uh, we've got a canine guest. Um, he's just chilling now. Hey. What? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, recording this episode of Terminus from my, uh, from my girl's place. And so I've got... And, okay. Uh, Ozzy Paws born is freaking out a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. No, right no, he's, he's, he's all good. <laughs> right on the fly. Um, yeah, that was pretty good, dude. But yeah, no, so you're totally correct when you say that. It's like, uh, you know, people are in many ways responding to a synthesis that they don't realize that Father Befouled, as well as a lot of other bands, basically helped create. And at this point, I would say that this whole style, um, mm-hmm. th- I mean, I, there is no term for it, but the sort of old school U.S. Black Death style, if you want to give it a laborious term, is mm-hmm. really kind of a style of its own at this point. Um, we've gone for, mm-hmm. far enough down the rabbit hole of Profanatica and Havahe and Incantation and all these kind of, and Vaughn and all these germinal kind of U.S. black meets death metal ideas. It's really become a scene in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Father Befouled is one of the flagships, so I was really excited to talk about the new one. So, ugh, take a breath. You, <laughs> as a, someone who's really fresh to this, I'll talk about how I think this relates to the rest of their discography, but what are your initial impressions, finally hearing the band that I talk about so much? Well, my initial impressions were, first listen through, did not immediately catch me, right? But I was listening in the knowledge that this is a band that is important, uh, you know, in the ways that you've just discussed, and I knew... If they're this important to the death metal guy, they've got to be doing, uh, they've got to be doing this style in a standout way, right? When I first listened to it, it sounded, I expected it to sound more unlike the wave of successive sort of incantation worship cavern core bands, right? So when I first mm-hmm. listened to it, I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like those. But, um, uh, and what struck me is the blast riffs are, uh, they are not big, long, sort of super twisted riffs in the style of Onward to Golgotha, right? They're very much stripped back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so certain, and you know, if you're a black metal person or even just a person who's steeped in this kind of later, highly black metalized death metal stuff, right? You're going to expect the trem riffs to be the big riffs. Um, I was not getting that. But a lot of the Doom stuff you mentioned, oddly, right? Because you know me, I, I tend to be Doom uh, doom <laughs> skeptical. A lot of the big slow parts that really do sound like Doom Metal, in a way, uh, were they were more clearly marked in the music to me, and I was able to get my hooks in them. I was able to sort of... Uh, they almost had more physical heft and gut emotional heft than the blasting parts. Then, when I heard that, I'm like, 
okay, I'm getting something about this, and, you know, I, I didn't love it the first time through, but let me play it again. When I played it again, I start to hear more cool stuff in the blasting stuff parts, and I start to be able to discern more what makes these guys good at and sort of founders of this particular style. Um, you know, I got more out of the blast riffs on the second go, and you, I just was able to start hearing how they played as a band, which is very different from a lot of people doing more formulaic takes on these styles. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with the whole assessment there. Um, and I really want to draw attention to you talking about the, the importance and the definition of the Doom parts, because for this record in particular, I would say this is almost primarily a Doom death record. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting, coming right off the back of us reviewing that uh, Rotting Kingdom and Coffination split uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, listening to this, it feels like the blast parts aren't insignificant, but they are directive. They are mm-hmm. very clearly and specifically ways to get to the meat of these songs, which in most cases are these sort of elaborate doom parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is interesting and what I'll keep coming back to as we review this is the really aggressive contrast between how sort of primitive and elemental the trem riffs are and how elaborate and unfolding the doom parts are. And that's a little bit jarring at first, but I think after listening a couple times, that's part of the intent is to have these almost, um, hypnotic looping chromatic or just like simple death metal minor figures that Mm -hmm. you know spill out into these really vast passages it's um it's structurally a little bit more ambitious than it appears uh on first listen and i i think that as i listen to this more i'll get even more out of it but uh so as not to you know just you know stare up my own asshole let's let's get to samples for a bit yeah, for sure. So um, let's uh, let's start with uh, his throne decayed. This is uh, the first part where, on my first listen through, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Um, and we're gonna it's a it's one of these doom parts where I think we're, I'm gonna start it right from the beginning. No, sorry, I'm no, it's well into the it. Am I no? I am starting this from the beginning. Um, <laughs> And uh, sorry, I got got a different recording environment, slightly scattered. Uh, <laughs> as, the, as the show goes, the um, so we've got the uh, it's an A B phrase. It's 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 an A B riff, right? First phrase, second phrase. Um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into the big we're gonna get into the big doom part and listen to the timing. Um, especially when they shift from the A to the B variation and then back to the beginning. So as they go between, as they turn around each phrase, the timing is really strange and it's going to start off without any drums under it at all or the drums not doing a driving thing at all.
Yeah, so I, I'm going to come back to this with the next sample, too. But uh, as those... As those iterations of the riff trade at the beginning, they kind of overlap one another. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? Yeah. Like, are, are, is, are they trading between guitars or channels? They're trading between channels, and the whole thing is arranged in 7-4. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. the second guitar is, like, starting a couple bars later. So you've got this, like, contrasting, like, interlocking at different points, uh, odd time flow to it. So it, it makes it seem even more complicated yeah and a band a standard a a standard cavern core band or whatever playing a riff like that would play there's it would it would it would be like a a quarter note kind of melody right they would just really it would be almost stiflingly even in how it's delivered. A lot of those bands have that grid-written feel, right? Mm -hmm. They're just this drawn-out full quarter or half notes on trem. And here, they they seem to be, like, hurrying and delaying certain notes in a way that makes it stutter uh, off from your expectations. And that is very effective in these slow parts where you're not looking for that sort of uh thrust and drive you get in the blast parts yeah yeah there's uh the the, the doom parts on this record are really expansive in a way that's been kind of hinted at before by this band but they really go all out on this record and that's that's a really good way of segue into my first sample um uh, this is off uh, the track right before the one you're playing. What you're playing is kind of the like the instrumental coda to this song, Miasmas of Sodom. Um, so we're going to go mm. to the beginning of this track, and this is kind of a microcosm of the record. You're going to have a couple really ugly sort of Profanatica-style riffs to open things up, get the energy high, and then very quickly, actually, it's going to recede into some stuff that actually reminds me a lot of that Incoffination split that we covered. What? Um Sorry. Wait, dude. Uh, is your time? I think you've got miasmas of Sodom written in the notes, but the timestamp is for dethroned enslavement. You are correct. I was <laughs> writing up my notes while I was working today. You're right. It is, in fact, dethroned enslavement that we're going to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
Yeah, so something I forgot to mention before we went into that is uh, the lead guitar work on this record is really important. Um, it's it's almost kind of the narrative center of a lot of these songs. Uh, most of the big doom passages on this record are are going to be centered around a sort of elaborate solo passage, and it tends to be sort of a <laughs> a fusion of like cryptopsy and funeral doom in the way that it's laid out. Yeah, it is a little bit funeral doomy. What makes it like cryptopsy? Oh, I just I just think certain aspects of the phrasing, the you know, you get that sort of like weird Victorian romantic feel that you'll get off of, uh, you know, none so vile, but also a bit like a shredding guitar solo. Yeah, yeah. That, in the way that something like Cryptopsy might. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, it's it's got flash, but it's also very clearly and steadily plotted out. You know, these are mm -hmm. not just you know throwing your fingers across the fretboard these are arranged yeah. in very distinct phrases yeah it's not it's not random blues licks but it is genealogically related to hard rock and heavy metal solos that were random blues licks yeah it wouldn't surprise me if the guitarist from thosaiella is the guy mm -hmm. doing most of the solos uh, on this. that would make sense yeah because you're, you're right there's a lot of uh sort of blues phrasing that you'll hear tucked away that we heard a lot on the Thosaiella record as well. So. Yeah, that's a thing in a lot of early 90s death metal records that will surprise people who aren't death metal people, right? Because a lot of those bands still had this concept of the virtuosic solo that was preserved from earlier stuff. Yeah, it's all kind of like Slayer Descent, you know, how mm -hmm. much of the, mm -hmm. the stuff that's not purely chromatic when it comes yeah. to their leads is usually kind of pentatonic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of a microcosm of the record. You'll have these, I mean, those are really simple riffs up front, those trem riffs. Actually simpler than a lot of previous Father Befouled stuff. It feels like they deliberately pared things down. One thing that I think they probably took note of was the last Presanctus record, uh, Hypnotic Blood Art. Um, yeah. Uh, that is obviously more power chord based and even more stripped down. But given that um, Jake, the main guy from Prosanctus, was actually in Father Befouled for a little bit, as well as the original drummer from Prosanctus who passed away, um, I, I think, I mean, those bands have always been deeply connected and paying attention to each other's work, I believe. Yeah, well, so it's interesting you said that one was. Um, uh, that, that you know that was very stripped down because as i listened again here there's still a lot of subtlety in the blast riffs mm -hmm. um they almost go through you know how when we reviewed absu for the bonus episode you were kind of complaining about the rote one four blues alternations <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah chord progression alternations <laughs> right which to be fair yeah are a weak point and a lot of thrash influence stuff right um they did almost like a parody of that here yeah, where yeah, they yeah. played the same trem riff maybe it was even up a fourth but when they repeat it in the in the the chord chain in the key change up they actually change the notes in every iteration of the riff in every uh in i think both they play a b then they go up they do a chord change a quarter key change and then they play like a prime b prime Mm -hmm. when they should be repeating it they're just like the whole thing has the notes rearranged in weird ways at least if i heard it right and that's pretty cool yeah i think there's i think that if you dig in because the production is kind of deliberately mm -hmm. 
Father Befell, their their production's always been kind of deliberately cool, like a little mm-hmm. bit quieter than you would expect from a band mm-hmm. like this. And I think that tucks away some sort of weird harmonic stuff happening between the guitars that just, it comes out on subsequent listens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you got next? Well, um, speaking of Pro Sanctus, um, <laughs> here's a part that really reminded me of Hypnotic Blood Art and, um, you know, uh, of Pro Sanctus in general. Um, uh, this is on Catabatic Deliverance. Uh, and, you know, Catabasis, obviously the sort of descent to the under, you know, descent to and uh, ascent out of the underworld, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, descent to Hades for mystic knowledge. But you, uh, starting with the blast riff and then, and that will give people a sense of how spare a lot of these blast riffs are. You may hear the blast riff and think, this is a lot like other blast riffs in the sort of more caverny bands that have proliferated since these guys started um then you're gonna have a uh, another six low part that sounds very prosanctus So towards the end there, we got another one of those big lead moments. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so the thing that relates that to Prosanctus a lot is these, uh, you know, heavy snare to double, snare snare to bass kind of things. Downbeat double bass rolls. It gives it that very authoritative sound. Is that a feature that is... um, Prosanct is innovated, or is that something that was already in the original Ledney projects that uh, he that guy accentuated and brought out? I don't think you heard that so much in Ledney. Um, I, yeah, I think Prosanctus brought a lot of that out, but also, you know, I just think of that as the bolt thrower beat, 
really you know <laughs> oh it's definitely kind of a bolt thrower beat for sure yeah um, well they would double up the snare so it's you know but uh yeah yeah exactly it's a little different yeah yeah but no the really authoritative like snare on the one and then just like the mm-hmm. the, the big looming passage of double kick after that before the next snare mm-hmm. hit yeah i'd say pro sanctus did a lot of that yeah mm-hmm. um but something that's also interesting is I heard another one of those sort of uh, thrash style uh, modulations you were talking about, but I was noticing the, the they're splitting it off so it becomes a harmony, and it's a really weird, ugly harmony. You know, it's like a, was it, that in the slow part or the fast part leading up to it? The, uh, the fast part leading up to it. The guitars split off. You think yeah. that it's like oh, we're just switching to you know going a string up or something, but no, it's like a really weird like third harmony or something. Something mm-hmm. is especially distressing to the ears. <laughs> oh, and the original riff keeps going underneath it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's that's cool. We approve of that. Well, that, there's um, also you know listening again, especially when you hear some of these riffs. Part of the reason this record sounds so kind of odd and alienating. I think it's because the guitar tone is so bizarre. Um, it's like not very saturated with gain. It's almost like they're using sort of retro fuzz puzzle pedals, like overdriven it's super midsy kind of like thin and flabby. Uh, it's, it's a really unique sound. It's, it's very, it's very unusual. They've always had kind of weird guitar tones, but they really took that to the next level on this. And it's like, I'm surprised they get that effect in the trem riffs without sacrificing any of the heaviness when they get to the actual doom parts. Yeah. How, I mean, I couldn't describe that as thin and flabby, maybe just because I'm used to listening to black metal, but, um, it's, uh, different, different standards. It's definitely kind of wobbly. Yeah, yeah, it's very wobbly. It's like it, it is not like, a it, it's not a bludgeoning tone. It Pro feels, Sanctus on Hypnotic Blood Art, right? That just sounds like getting hit with a a continuous brick, right? A yeah. blood a blood brick that kind of bends. Um, and then um, you know, I don't know what's another kind of uh, incantation based thing. You know, something like fucking Dizma, which is flabby but thick like a whale. <laughs> I guess I would say this sounds like because these guys aren't tuned especially low. They're probably in like mm-hmm. C or something, but it feels mm-hmm. like they're using like nine gauges in C or something. So mm-hmm. you're getting like that sort of loose sludgy tone of like a really loose string when you're down tuning super far, but without the bass presence you would expect from that. So it's a, it's a very strange overall effect. Okay, that makes sense. It's a little bit watery, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's almost like uh, when so they're using loose. Not only is it down tuned, they are using strings that are looser than they would need to be, or that are lighter gauge than they would need to be. I think bend. so. I and I think mm-hmm. that's a deliberate thing. Like you can hear even when they're just hanging on to a note in a mm-hmm. in a trem riff. It's like you can sort of hear the pitch wobbling in it. Like it's kind of having trouble keeping mm-hmm. up with itself, uh, which is usually a sign of a sort of a deliberately loose string. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of fast stuff, uh, my last sample is off the only thing you could really call like a straightforward ripper on this album, mm-hmm. which is well. actually the shortest full song called enlightenment of torture. Um, and here we'll get a little bit more into, uh, the relationship to sort of pro sanctus style stuff. Um, because, like I said, a lot of these riffs are really 
elemental, sort of like primitive, even more primitive than early incantation. But then you've got the the sharp angular stuff that gets brought in from later Prosanctus, and the aggregate effect is something very, very unusual and very sort of upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> The coolest part of that for me is where they revisit that they do the B prime version of that second riff. It starts the same. You think it's going to be the same riff, but it takes a really bizarre sort of angular switch halfway through the when, riff. When they, with, with the slow riff that not, no, not the slow one we ended on, right? No, no. Right before no. that. Yeah. Right. Where they they return to the, they return to the most straightforward kind of trope of the blasting riffs, right? Mm-hmm. They've gone through the like crazy winding triplet chromatic riff, right? Then they do a crazy winding blast riff in a similar idiom. Then they lock back into the more stripped down riff, and we both cracked up when that re entered because, yeah, something happens where they play it initially and then they hit one or two chords at the end that make it sound like they're falling down the stairs. Oh yeah, there's something it's really bizarre happens really, at that moment. Really awful. <laughs> yeah. And like in, in the best way. Does that repeat on any of the subsequent iterations? Because I was listening for it and I didn't hear it. It it, it does. It, it, it's bizarre because they do it like twice, then they do the standard version once, and then they do the altered version again. It's, it's really weird and off balance. There's also something strange going on where there's a lot of like odd numbered repetitions happening. Mm-hmm. 
uh, throughout this. Like riffs are not repeating in sets of four and eight, even when they're four four riffs. They're throwing in an extra measure or they're dropping one off. It's, it's super weird. Like there's a lot of, I think if you really sit down and listen to this and plot it out beat by beat, there's some really odd things happening just under the surface. Yeah, there's um, a lot of memory that's gone into writing these songs. Yeah, and I also think that I've got a feeling that this was probably recorded live to a degree. Um, at least, like, guitars and drums were recorded together, and probably vocals and bass overdubbed. Maybe all the instruments played together. Um, <laughs> there's these odd little hiccups in timing. Um I, I don't think this was done to a click track. I think they just played these a bunch and went in and kind of laid these out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get the kind of jam room sense of certain bands, but in this really sort of rigorous Black Death framework. And the result is there's something really off-putting about this music, <laughs> like in a good way, you know? It's like there is something just weird about it, not even in the troped oh you know this is so dark and evil way of just like there's something inherently wrong with what's Mm -hmm. going on (laughs) at any given moment of the record and that at least to me that's i find that very heartwarming
All right, and we are back with Sepulchral Dedication by Lifsleda on Norma Evangelium Diaboli. So, uh, this is, I didn't know this project existed till pretty recently, or it had like barely registered in the back of my mind. But this is a project where the one listed member, right, Sigvard, is also not first from Soren, the vocalist from Soren. Uh, people who've been listening to this show for a while know that I uh, find any excuse to reference Soren a pretty uh, undeservedly obscure, well, kind of deservedly because it's really extreme, crazy music. Um, yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> music that was meant to be obscure from Sweden. Uh, sort of uh, ripping black metal with undertones of death metal riffiness. Um, uh, sounds deeply pagan in a sense, but also has strange dissonant harmonies running throughout that make it very different from any of that and very innovative for the late 90s. Um, the person who reissued the Soren, rec the Soren, uh, Soren records, I think on CD first back in the day, was uh, Christian from Death Spell Omega, uh, the main DSO guy who runs uh, Noevdia, the label that put this out. So um, there's some established relationship between them. I think he's helped keep the name of that band alive. You can hear their stamp um, prominently on Infernal Battles, the earliest DSO stuff. And mm -hmm. I think some of the later DSO stuff probably owes its feeling, if not the technique, to... Uh, um, to, to the second Soren record, to uh, Apocalypse and Sangle. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this, so th this is a, it's a guy who has a history with the label. Um, the project itself has no other listed members, which is interesting, mm -hmm. right? And we'll come back to that. But first, I guess we should talk about the general flavor of this. Yeah. Um, so, you had you had talked about this a little bit specifically because it was um, it was you know connected to Sorhin, um, mm -hmm. so and you know I know you so of course that's going to be a big deal. So I was expecting something that sounded close to Sorhin, which I guess this does occasionally in moments from the admittedly little bit of Sorhin I've heard. Mm -hmm. But really, like, there's a case to be made that this is primarily, like, a DSBM record. Um, the way I see this is sort of like a, a three-way fusion of, like, very trench coat era stuff. This is very 2000 sounding to me. You've got, like, one part DSBM, one part sort of uh, crusty black and roll thing, and mm -hmm. one part, like, Swedish Orthodox. Um, but I don't think any of the sources, like any of the main influences, are the most obvious ones that you would expect. So the the effect you get is something akin to like a 2005 DSBM record where the conceit wasn't so firmly established and they weren't so committed to it that uh, every other musical technique was off the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, um, I don't really hear the, I hear the DSBM thing and the black and roll thing, although those to me almost are just, you know, same picture. 
right, to some extent. <laughs> um, uh, I don't really hear the Swedish Orthodox <coughs> thing, um, but you could get here from within Orthodox for sure. Yeah. Um, it's got this... Um, uh, you know, I also th- was struck by the DSBM thing, like, immediately. The first track in particular, uh, Sanda Buddha, uh, has a... Starts with these long, drawn-out kind of uh, staggered processional melody. It's like two or three notes that just has big bass shifts under it. Um, and it's immediately really DSBM and also just kind of sounds like The Cure. Like it's a, it's a kind of rockishly rockish gothic melody, yeah. um, and the immediate tempo is just slow and reverent, um, and kind of it, it broods intensely from the very beginning, <laughs> uh, and and so that got me thinking. Okay, well, this is certainly certainly there's no attempt to make anything that sounds directly like Soren, right? This is an entirely separate project. Indeed, Soren is still active, and they may at some point release a record. Um, they're never officially disbanded. Um, but yeah, so this is a different beast, and it is certainly... So it's tapping into uh, a different shade of the scenes we associate with Sweden. So what what kind of bands were you thinking for the DSBM and black and roll stuff? Uh, so for the DSBM thing, you know, I was trying to hone in on stuff that would make sense for the era that I'm thinking of, like mm-hmm. mid to late 2000s. And I think a big source for the DSBM stuff is going to be uh, Total Self-Hatred, uh, who I've talked about a little bit on the show before. Uh, their uh, self-titled 2008 record is sort of... Um, it's hard to describe. It's sort of a bridging moment between those earlier days of DSBM consolidating itself as a scene and the very calcified sort of version that we have now. Um mm-hmm. Hyper melodic, very sad, sort of, you know, it's got those traces of Peaceville Doom Death in it, but it's also not afraid mm-hmm. to go fast to have really aggressive blasting sections and even some like heavy chromatic stuff. So it's a uh, it's really varied. It's it's I'd say it's like a, a second tier classic in DSBM. Um that was my primary thing there. Uh, you know, as well as, you know, it's entirely possible these guys are, you know, they've heard Nyctalgia or Sturbend before, stuff like that. You get a mm-hmm. little bit of that flavor here and there. Yeah, and certainly the idea that, you know, the interesting thing, right, is that this guy is of an older generation than the DSBM bands, right? Total self-hatred would be, would that be at the same time as Soren? Or no, that'd be later. later. Uh, first demo was yeah. in 06, so. Yeah, and so in the 90s, right, all you'd have of DSBM in particular would be early things that are now associated with it, right? Like Forgotten Woods or Strid. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. Um, so that's cool. This is whatever it is, right? In every single way, this is the record of a guy who has not stopped listening to black metal. Yeah. Right? We should make it clear, there have been some Liv Slater releases before this. Um, this is not the first. This is... The first I've heard, um, but there was one in 2020, uh, uh, and there were some EPs and singles before that. It's been around since 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, 
but it is, as far as I know, the first time he's really surfaced since the Soren days. So um, he just hasn't stopped listening to shit. Uh, there is no attempt to remain narrowly in the aesthetic he established when he was younger, and there's every sense that, you know, there's no sort of like, I'm up here on my pedestal only listening to, you know, like, only listening uh, to the same tapes that I had in '91, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I only listen to Venom and, uh, you know, Stravinsky, right? Um, uh. It's, it, you know, he likes black metal, which is great. Um, uh, you know, so we've got, we've got kind of a conspiracy theory about the, uh, <laughs> about the lineup, but I'm thinking maybe let's do one of the samples first so well, that yeah, we don't do... hear it with that in, yeah. in mind. Do you want to start with your sample? I've, I've got, my two samples are both dedicated to the conspiracy theory, so, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Let me, uh, let's go to my first yeah. one. So, for me, this is a record where I like the first few songs. I, I really like that opening mm-hmm. song a lot because it's just straight DSBM. But, uh, mm-hmm. for me, it's on the fourth track where this really starts to heat up. You know, kind of congeal as an album. And that is called Hadenkalad. Um... Head on Khaled? I don't know. I'm going to yeah. translate that. That might have something to do with being with heathens, but I'm not sure. I'll translate it while we listen to the sample. So, uh, like I said, I see this record as being composed of like three kind of distinct mm-hmm. ideas of black metal. And mm-hmm. for a lot of the record, it tends to keep them a little bit separate. They're, they're located in distinct sections, interrelated melodically, but pretty distinct stylistically. Here's an example where all those ideas really merge into a, a singular whole and become a lot more defining for the band as an entity.
All right, I promise that's the only like huge melodic sentimental riff that I pulled <laughs> on the record <laughs> because because they most of these songs tend to end with one of those. Um, you know, you'll go through a sequence of a lot of different things, and then it'll usually open on the the most flourishing and kind of openly emotional riff at the end, and that on on this track i think this is the best instance of that that's an outstanding well, way that's to a fantastic riff yeah i just that's, i wish they had played it for you know another eight repetitions and done more lead guitar variations and just gone totally well, maximalist well, don't don't they open the track with that too no actually what's funny is they open with a really aggressive surprisingly orthodoxy riff mm. yeah it, which is i, I mean yeah I was honestly surprised. I knew that one had a big riff on it, and I was like, at first with your sample, I was like, wait, he's not doing the big riff? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, well, I was doing the big riff at the end. But yeah, no, it's a, right. so when that, that sample opens, so I'm basically doing the middle of the song, the, the back half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it opens, it, it was interesting because I considered that passage, that arpeggiated passage, kind of orthodoxy, especially when it opens. Um but then I think it kind of contorts itself through a few different configurations. So you get those flickers of different moods. Um, you get the orthodox stuff, you get the DSBM, and you even get some of the, the sort of black and roll stuff. And I think this might be a case where these guys are actually serious about Ovsky. Um, because there's moments on this record that feel specifically Ovsky, which is a, a band we've talked about a lot on the show. we got to do a bonus episode about Abscape. Yeah, yeah I need talk to go back so and listen to that more now. It's yeah. um, um, yeah. I mean, a modern, uh, a modern band. It also reminds me of some somewhat is uh, Gendud. Mm, yeah, who yeah, are, I can see who are that. Norse, mm-hmm. who, who are Norse, but who are drawing heavily on a lot of like Swedish style DSBM ideas and combining them with like uh, very lush stuff that's coming more from Toka, but again, sort of converges with the Swedes. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and the, vo- you know, um, yeah, so what do you, yeah, so you've got those the sort of chiming, droning stuff, um, and then, you know, the, the, the it drops into a blast part that's more kind of grinding. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a, a, a subtle thing. It doesn't go directly to the big riff. The big riff opens up. It it has very, uh, it has bespoke timing in the big riff. There's not a standard set of rhythms it's clinging to. Yeah. Uh, it, and it and the way it kind of soars, it sounds like the sola fide riff. It's like uh, it's almost like a D, it's more like one of the DSO uh, climax riffs. Yeah, and um, it's also it's really guided um, by that first lead guitar flourish, like that that first flourish from the lead guitar kind of sets the riff up in a really interesting way and it becomes the the lead voice to the chord backing that ends up following the the root notes of of that sort of uh quick pyrotechnic melody there yeah it's like very there's like blissando right he's like sort Mm -hmm. of it's it's mostly a single string trim but he's like sliding between them and letting them overlap in a really subtle way Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's really very yeah Okay, so now do we talk about the uh, the elephant in the room? Now do we talk about the elephant in the room? <laughs> who who else might be playing? Well, let's um, 
let's hear let's hear your next, next sample, sample and then uh we can talk about it with that like fresh context all right all right so um this one is actually from earlier in the record this is the second track in terms of template it's a lot like the first so this is also more heavily depressive um and uh um, although you will get some more energetic, folky kind of riffing uh, la- later in the track, but you're certainly going to get some of that big, uh, big brood at the beginning. This is about uh, just just under a minute in. Right, so I, 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 a, a listeners, uh, if, if you're on YouTube or something, pause the video here and comment with what you think we're about to say. Like, who might be the other members of this band? Just go, go and do that. You know, it's good for our engagement numbers. And now let's talk about it. <laughs> well, the only reason to not list the other members of the band, right... Yeah, or the the main reason I think it has to be in this case is right. This is a dude with a, this is a dude who's hooked up to a central label. He himself has a, uh, you know, an outstanding pedigree. Right. This is this is an original, uh, a guy from the originary days of black and death metal. Um, and uh, the reason you don't put the other names of the pro the other the names of the other guys in this out there is because it would somehow distract from the record right all you know um everything we're about to say here is speculative yes we have absolutely no evidence or insider information for this this is is gut feeling and listening yeah 
and and it's just you know it, and so you know if you are going to have the anonymous lineup i think we, I, you know part of the game is we get to speculate right <laughs> so um so when you know you get that sort of rolling build and the melody is carried by this sort of like droning single string work and underneath it right what makes it sound big are the changes in the bass like not bass in the sense of literal instrument but like a lower trim line that's filling in uh you know filling in the under under structure and the bass is going yeah right um it's it's turning around in a way that is so epic that nobody, everyone thought it was too obvious until this guitarist started doing it all the time. Right? And then, at the same time that you're listening to that, you're listening to the drum work, which is defined by these... Um, Wait, the, was, the halftime drop, right? Well, I'm going to get into the whole we thing. We're there. doing a trade-off. Oh, <laughs> but okay. yes. Are you, no. but, yeah, so... Okay, I see. No, go for the halftime drop. Talk about that, yeah. Well, you were still talking about the drums on that section, the rolling, the rolling section. Go for it. Yeah. So, and then you've got the drums that are defined by complex ostinato ride cymbal runs, as well as sort of erratic but punctuating tom hits in the middle of these more complex mid-fast double kick beats. Yeah, like rich melodies being played on toms in black metal drumming. Mm-hmm. A sense that the guy has all the time in the world to deliver these as he's doing up-tempo double pedal, double pedal bass stuff. Yeah. A- and then, halftime drop. The, ha- <laughs> the, the halftime and drop from the, uh, the, the sad, arcing uh, tremolo riff into a, a more sort of rock-interpreted version of it. Yes. And the drummer at this point, at a certain points in there, he, he changes it up. At certain points, he's doing a significant pickup hit right before the, uh, as, as the measure, as the, uh, the phrase rolls over, right? <laughs> like on the, there's an extra bass drum note in, in each of these that goes like, do da, do da, yeah. as the measure starts, right? Do do da, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I can't even hum it because I'm not a, a drummer but you know what i'm talking about yeah right? yeah yeah very signature hit um so uh this sounds uh th- this sounds like one band right um, <laughs> it, it, it 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 sounds like it's literally both core members of migla yes yes it absolutely does um it was interesting because we picked up on different things. We both thought that what screamed to me was the drums and what screamed to you was the guitar work. Um, for me, the I don't know when it was. It might have been this track in particular. But listening to that, it's like this is either Dark Side from McGlaw or it is a guy who is perfectly imitating all the intricacies of his style. Yeah, I heard it in the guitars, and then as I listened more, I was like, "Oh shit, the drummer! Wait, the drum, the drummer is just doing doing that." <laughs> it's, uh, um, I, I was like, "Damn, those are really good drums." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I think I had some, um, 
you know, there are a few candidates for who could be playing the guitar or whatever you're thinking about, and then just like, oh, God, yeah. Well, if if, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. No, nah, man, but and, I, I, I was questioning the guitar thing, but as soon as I re-listened to that, that big, like, uh, like, epic melancholic riff there it was like oh that's like that specific interval choice is like a mcglaw signature yes exactly no his the riffs aren't so this is a cool thing there are no very few to zero megla riffs on here Mm -hmm. um what there is is this guy's ear all over it his ear for tonality and in particular for sticking the landing on certain massive dorian scale tectonic shift ideas um, and just in the idea of like putting sustained rolling kind of uh, stable uh, single string lines with these big changes under them. Uh, and then he'll play. People often compare Migla to Swedish black death bands, mm-hmm. right? But they'll compare them to Sacramentum because of the ear for consonant melody, right? Yeah. What this record proves is that this guy was listening really seriously to that entire scene, and especially to Soren. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not especially to, but including that, right? To the degree where he's able to, he's playing into the Swedish style. Yes. Like he's, yes, exactly. He's writing riffs that, um, the riffs that really sound Swedish on this, and there are a lot of them, um, are, uh, could have been written by a guitarist from that original Black Death scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it just shows he has such a signature in his two main bands, right? <laughs> you're, uh, you know, you might just be like, is this guy the, just the way the guy plays? And this is an astonishing answer to that question, which is like, well, n- like, uh, no, he can do this too if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, the, remar- the really remarkable thing about this, mm-hmm. if we are correct is um like you said one there's basically no McGlaw riffs but it's just there are idiosyncrasies to his style yeah that scream it <laughs> and what that means is the only way you pick up on that is one listening to a lot of McGlaw, which of course we both have and two listening to all the other bands that try to sound like them and fail and like proving that uh-huh. if this is m from McGlaw, he still has something that nobody else has unlocked you know, yeah. he's got well, certain interval ideas that nobody else has figured out how to make work. And you can actually hear it um, on the last Migla record, right? On mm-hmm. um, Age of, on Age uh, of Excuse, Age, yeah. he starts playing stuff that sounds more Swedish and not flowery Sacramentum stuff, but much more severe storming type Swedish melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this really goes with that. And so some of the squalling kind of... Uh, layered disharmonic lead stuff mm-hmm. lots of it on age of excuse and lots of it in their sort of test run band Kriegs machine yeah so yeah. there aren't any migla riffs on this record but there are a lot of Kriegs machine riffs and by riffs i mean not riffs like the parts <laughs> that just have the dissonant arpeggios that you were linking to orthodox mm-hmm. are like the Kriegs machine sort of mid-tempo jam black metal version of orthodox yeah you see um, for me the orthodox comparison what i was really getting at mm-hmm. was uh in particular on which is like the the only case of like an orthodox band i have more experience with than you mm-hmm. <laughs> like of all of them um yeah just because on uh, tends to be a little bit more mid-tempo and spacious mm-hmm. 
with their arrangements, they were never really as interested in this super dense, like high technicality stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Nor were they totally like Aosoth in like trending towards blood Oss Nord. There's a lot of stuff that just sounds Mm -hmm. like, very ugly, weird black and roll stuff in Onscopt. Rolling, kind of rolling, steady groove mid-tempo. Orthopedics. Yeah, there's a lot of groove yeah, yeah. in Onscopt, which is right. one of the cool defining features. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so speaking of all this, and especially speaking of, um, you know, just guitar technique and different things you could do with it, I want to go to the song uh, Dudspredekanten. Um now here I can hear the Sorhin coming out a little bit more in some very strange harmonic ideas that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, most of this record is more consonant, but honestly, one of its strengths is how it manages to balance that consonance out with really not just like crusty, gnarly, chromatic stuff, but like deliberately difficult, true black metal riffing. Um mm-hmm. So most of this passage is going to be dominated by a riff that I'm kind of associating with Valknut, of all things. It's got this very mm-hmm. gray, foggy quality, you know, sort of a neutral tone. You can't really wrap your head around. But here's where all the little extra bits add. That really rich drum performance. Um, the vocals get a little bit more theatrical here, which I really like. And there's this super cool, weirdly technical bass line that you're going to hear pop up that just ended up becoming like one of the most charming parts of the record for me.
So you were you were about to spurg out on that last riff. Go ahead, black metal guy. <laughs> yes, yes. This one, yeah, yeah. Well, what about it? Oh, you got to the end of the sample before me, but I'm finishing it now. So, oh. yeah, the the big the big the one that just came in at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. That the the huge <laughs> riff that I actually didn't include all of. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, uh, we should, yeah, so there's a lot worth talking about in that one, but that riff as it comes in, right, sounds like Scandinavian folk song, Mm -hmm. and not in a kind of windier uh, Scandinavian folk song via, you know, power metal kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. um, It's just sort of... uh, eerie and um lots of lots of half steps it's got that longing um, quality to it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and also again just the whole record though just the one word i'd use is brooding just <laughs> it is very steady. brooding just i i listened to this and walk uh, walking home in an unseasonably cold weather the other the other week at night and just listening to this track was like a transporting experience. Like this might be my favorite track on the record. Uh, yeah, this is, which is interesting because if you think about it, like just from a guitar perspective, like mm-hmm. not a lot happens during the bulk of this song. Most of this song hovers just around one or two pretty simple riffs. It it's really about giving everything else a chance to breathe. Um, it, like it's just yes it's so much about the uh it it just breathes authenticity in terms of how the simple riffs in the beginning of the song are delivered Mm -hmm. yeah it's like so you've got that that sort of misty feeling you know Mm -hmm. almost dsbm riff and it really just hovers on that for a long time but then and it does sprawl out like a volknut riff i hear what you mean you know yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a Volknut for me. That record is defined by that the very gray feeling mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like deliberately muted in a yes, lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a similar thing's happening here, but then it gives so much of a chance for the drums to explore their space, and it's actually it's really it's like a groove track. You get down to it. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. it's about the drums and all their little intricacies. That crazy like I think string skipping bass line that pops up toward the end of that mm-hmm. sample. That's fucking awesome. I love it. you've got this like funkadelic ass bass line in the middle of this like droning black metal riff, and somehow it complements it perfectly. And then even the vocalist he's like exploring a little bit of his internal attila there you know he's more theatrical more operatic and i love oh, hearing oh, that the, the the dropout is sick oh yeah yeah that's that sort of like weird wailing groan that he does there that's mm-hmm. awesome why are we not doing that in black metal constantly why haven't we learned from day mysteries that yes we should be constantly playing with the vocals and doing weird shit with them so you know? on that note uh a, a point in favor of our uh, conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> the weird thing is, right? He's the only listed member, Sigvar slash not first, but this isn't a vocal focused record. No, um, not at all. Now, I, I assume he also had some sort of non quantifiable visionary role in the project, right? Maybe he's played an important role in structuring the songs and arrangements and talking through the ideas and stuff like that. Um, but the vocals are not the focus. This is not, it's not like it's his solo thing and he's got some anonymous uh, session players behind mm-hmm. him. Um, the vocals are understated. This guy is a 
demon in Soren. And, you know, people's voices change as they get older, but he's still clearly got the capability of making just nasty sounds. They're just mixed really low, and they're delivered with a narrower range. He's, he's, he's delivering them higher. If anything, maybe you're, you get it gets harder to do piercing screeches as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, here, he's Soren has more of a sort of uh, kind of uh, sort of somewhere between like the classic Swedish Black Death roar and like goblin puke. But, like <laughs> uh, it's just really vicious, deranged uh, mid-level, mid-range vocals. Um, and this is this doesn't have that kind of out front aggression. Um, it's muted. It's in the backdrop, and it's delivered. He's not attempting to make a show of himself, which suggests that, um, if anything, you know, uh, you know, he's showcasing the the, the musicians, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, which again just go, goes to suggest that this isn't just hired guns he brought in for the session. Um, uh, you know, in terms of what you're saying about the, uh, we also do get a bit of a. So, what's distinctly soreny about this record, right? There are not the certain. Well, on this track, as that sort of groove section escalates, right, it shifts from the Volknudy thing to this sort of more uh-huh. sort of uh, sort of descending riff. Um, and at the beginning of that, that has a sort of cutting, cutting edge, gleaming harmonies that you'd associate with Soren. Um, they're not, they don't crop up a lot on this record, but M knows how to do them. And he mm-hmm. throws them in at certain points. And the folk riff is very Soren. It has the harmonization stripped away from it. So Soren would play that whole folk riff with the disharmonic knife's edge harmonies that you heard on the previous riff mm-hmm. right they, they play that whole winding folk riff and it would just sound like it's being made by you know you know you know uh spirits of the night right um he's but he what he's done is he's heard the music so closely he's heard the consonant folk melodies in the soren riffs and he's heard their rhythmic inflections and turns that's at insanely good ear I mean, mm-hmm. and to be able to, re- like, I mean, okay, well, I mean, I don't know. I've, maybe I'm flattering myself here because I hear that in the fucking Soren melodies. So let's say to be able to replicate that on a guitar, insanely good ear for it and to be able to translate it musically and deliver that. Um, uh, so let's get into some more Soren related stuff. On the final track, Kala, we get both um, some very distinct aspects of this sort of folky Soren guitar, but blended with an unmistakable uh, kind of uh, M dark side touch.
So the real ear grabber there, right, is that that winding folk riff. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the thing, and the single thing on this record that's closest to something from like it at Glimmerande Mercret's dupe. Um, mm-hmm. It has these sort of um, rippling, convoluted kind of uh, uh, Nordic knot work, you know, sort of uh, animal form, not tracery feel of a lot of their riffs. Um, uh, and but again, it's like the root notes of the Soren melodies, just brought out and clarified. And yeah. as it winds up, the way the lower, the way that the uh, rhythm guitar and bass dance around under it and harmonize with it in certain places, fall in certain places, and preserve some rhythm ideas from the earlier section, just that's really how the Migla guys do it. Yeah. Um, Especially in the way they, at the very beginning of that, the way they kick into the main kind of arpeggiated riff, you know, very kind of abruptly, uh, that's that's a specific technique they've used several times before. And there's, and so as they, and before they go into it, right, so a lot of the, a lot of the track is actually this Kriegsmachine-ish sort of grooving, you know, Bum bum, right there, mm-hmm. right. You're hitting just a you know minor, minor three two at the same time as you're doing a minor six five or whatever, right. And so you just get this. It's this again. It's that thing that we heard on the the first sample I pulled. It's like you could just call it the Migla fall off, right? Where you just do a very a, a dis, very powerful simple two step descending melody at the end. And the Migla fall-off comes in again in the bass part under the winding Soren riff at the end, mm-hmm. which is, exa- it like, and if you think of what that sounds like, it sounds like um, there are various ways to verify the guitar technique on here. And one way is to say, well, what would, we already have evidence of what Migla would, these, of what M would sound like if he was playing melodic Swedish black metal which is a project by one of the Malignant Voices guys, some some or all of whom play live in Magla, which mm-hmm. is um, Over the Voids. That guy has these really elaborate flowering melodies. It's a little too sugary for me, to be honest, but it's really good. You'd like I was, it. Yeah, I was about to say, so I need to check that out. <laughs> you would yeah. love it. It's, it's very influenced by Olver also. Oh, um, great, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's the guy, The Fall, and he plays live in Magla. But uh, mm-hmm. it's... The way the harmonies work there, these kind of uh, dramatically sweet harmonies that come in over the big, come in and play with the big melodies, it's uh, th- that. Th- that's another example of the Swedish stuff getting miglified. Um, and it, you know, it could be the malignant voices, dudes. It could be this guy and the guy. You know, he's in Ashes and Owl's Woods Graves, where you can also hear these harmonic. You techniques. know, I, I thought about that as a possibility. Maybe it's not the main guy, the main guys in McLaugh. Maybe it's the other guys that play live with them. You know, no, but so I thought about that possibility. But then they would just have their names on it. There's no reason not to have this credit. It's a fantastic ah, album yeah. with a veteran vocalist, and there's nothing distracting about it. It's just like, hey. These guys play live in in Maglaw. They're serious players. Here's them doing a session with the guy from Soren, right? That's just awesome. That's just mm-hmm. really good press. And there's, you know, I I don't know. I don't see any reason you wouldn't. The reason you wouldn't do it is if it's the guys who originated that style.
And we are back with Gates of Dawn by Gates of Dawn on a label called Death Hymns that I wasn't really following or didn't know much about until this was brought to our attention. We did a we did a Death Hymns review the other day. Let me look up which one it was. Oh, okay. Well, you're looking that up. I'll do the rundown. Um, so this was a uh, a request by one of our. Uh, highest tier of patrons the you are literally danny filth patrons <laughs> oh it was uh, the uh it was the last uh elegiac record that we covered oh Dan- that was on death hymns interesting yeah yeah um okay so uh so this he he seems so our, our patron seems to follow this label very closely he's a fan of a number of projects on this including a thing called a band called arid but with an umlaut that has something coming out that sounds pretty cool but he requested we review this and i was like yeah sure of course um of course our patron um (laughs) uh and then i I sort of i sort of bent the knee and uh my my uh my my leather boots and uh greaves creaked and my sort of chain mail sort of uh swished as i know (laughs) in, in allegiance um uh but um but yeah so this is uh this is a patron patron request and uh it's definitely interesting to hear this because it resonates with some stuff that we've been picking up on in other reviews this year um and also with some bands we reviewed last year so uh i guess the um this is a band that is very outside our wheelhouse in terms of the kind of stuff either of us normally listens to or follows um Mm -hmm very different level of this is in the scene that we refer to as raw tape black right yeah. um it's kind of a self-contained world um the th- i guess i'll just lead us off with the uh the clickbait the clickbait which is is this the kekta rock of 2022 um was that rhetorical or are you asking me <laughs> no, I suppose I'm. You might as well answer. I mean, we have two people, so I guess you should answer the rhetorical question. <laughs> well, there's nobody else here. I guess you're talking to me. Um, it's. I don't think it's the Cactus Rock of 2022. Cactus Rock is much more like broadly applicable and accessible. And there's like people I know IRL who like the Cactus Rock record. This is a lot more obscure. This is much more like even well even more dwelling on the internet kind of stuff. Um, that being said, I know why you're asking it because it is in a sense, it's really accessible. It's weird, but it's oddly accessible. Um, and it definitely flirts with sounds and imagery, um, that are very appealing, like outside the black metal core fan base. Um, yes. But no, I think that what it's closer to, and we both mentioned in the notes, it's closer to the 2022 Midnight Betrothed, even though it doesn't really sound like it that much. Uh, For those who don't remember, uh, Midnight Betrothed uh, did a record last year that we covered that I actually liked a lot. The black metal guy hated. Hated. Um. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like um, chiptune black metal anime soundtracks. So, you know, take but that for the anime soundtracks I like. Um, <laughs> the wrong uh, anime soundtracks. Yeah. Wrong anime soundtracks. Um, it, but the Midnight Betrothed had a lot in common with the Cacta Rock, particularly the sort of, like, anime soundtrack, uh, canned trap beat emo rap thing. 
that's um, one fucking song on the Kector Rock record. The rest of it's just great <laughs> Slav Black riffs. God damn it, dude. <laughs> Uh, the Slav black riffs are, were quite good. And so that's what we really mean is that there's things. This record is engaged in a lot of signaling that I think uh, we find uh, not appealing, trans, transparent and reprehensible. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, it's quite good as music. Yes, and it is. there's like like the Kekta rock, right, was a thing that annoyed me aesthetically, but was if I listen to the record, it's there's a very authentic you know, that's a record that has really authentic guitar writing on it, right? Just he's really great at playing Slavic black metal and it doesn't sound like vampire shit at all. Mm-hmm. This is a record that's playing to tight more in a lot of ways, but it's still really uh you know, it's not coming from a sort of deep rooting in black metal tradition. However, it is very well done and it's uh a pleasure to listen to so let's start talking about that so midnight betrothed is kind of um deliberately uh deliberately soundtracky deliberately very sort of uh hook driven and uh kind of light yeah this they're record just is those are just raw the, black metal versions of pop songs right straight up this record is not it's very accessible but it's not poppy it's lush and immersive and ceaselessly hammering in a way that's pretty compelling. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the tones, it's filled with synths. That's one of the things that links it to Midnight Betroth. Synth is at, in some sense, it's symphonic black metal, but only in the sense that it's using synth as the main instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it has these uh, big, broad-spectrum, heavily-layered tones, um, and it and it's warm mm-hmm. you know in terms of its sound and, and and emotionally warm but high intensity at the same time so uh one of the sets of reference points here uh that i'm indebted to the uh midnight betrothed was mentioned in the youtube comments this is on the uh, excellent rights of pestilence channel as the full-length stream um uh and in the comments he the guy from the channel notes a similarity to emperor which okay sure it has keyboards it's sort of black metal um grousome kite which i'm guessing is closer to this in some ways grousome kite grousome kite is the um like chiptune castlevania soundtrack druggy black metal shit that's right. become really popular yeah 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 and and so midnight and he mentioned the midnight betrothed thing and someone in the comments there we always like to shout out the comment section uh, Laurent Lebec says uh, he compares it to uh, Tangerine Dream era Phaedra covering early Emperor and there's definitely some kind of uh, cosmiche synthesizer uh, 70s heavy prog kind of stuff um, yeah well actually I because I read the um the sort of feature announcing the record on a uh, related website that's linked on the band camp. And he did say that this emerged from uh, when he had kind of moved away from his hometown and he didn't have anyone to play music with. And he was doing a lot of experimentation with his like synth collection. I think he does a lot of analog synth stuff. So it makes sense that he'd be linking back to uh, a lot of like seventies, uh, eighties uh, sort of experimental synth work. Yeah, and so that's a thing that we've talked about. I've talked about on this show how, you know, there's a lot of black metal 
nowadays black metal that is highly synth driven but seems completely disconnected from like any sense of what people who are into synths listen to mm-hmm. right or there's a way of you know keyboards got used in symphonic bm as a low budget substitute for like an orchestra right and when emperor first did that or kvist first did that that was like cool and they were using it in a way that was kind of raw and gritty uh and different from like a synth pop band or whatever right but as time goes on people start it becomes imitation of imitation of imitation and it becomes like either um and you get these the paradigm for black metal synth somehow becomes these kind of uh casio based things from the 90s um which is very different from what synth people are into and this it's very. A, it's also this, very different from what those guys were actually attempting to do with them originally. No, no, no. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, no. It, it wasn't about the Casio synth sound. It was them doing, trying to be orchestral, but not having the tools for it. Yes. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, I love the early Emperor, the pre-night side. Um, but I love yeah. you know Emperor or Kvist or all those bands. You know, uh, there's a reason to use keyboards in BM, but people, it becomes this calcified convention that is divorced from the reasons they were being used in the first place this guy in a cool this guy is actually a synth dude so he's probably listened to like you know the minimal synth comps that were big in the 2000s he's probably listened to lots of like 80s synth pop and like uh just the whole kind of analog tradition he actually has favorite songs off of aphex twin selected ambient works probably also that yeah shit like that yeah he's this guy's just listening to a lot of stuff from outside a lot of sort of all experimental or post-punk music from outside black metal and he's and there's a way more fleshed out idea of what you can do with synths there and Mm -hmm. he's bringing that in um and so that that's pretty cool and gives him an interesting angle however there is another angle on this record um. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we can get in mine. Well, one thing that I wanted to say... Or should we get to samples first and then well, use the samples to get to yours? Well, I guess it kind of dovetails because what, what I was going to say is all of this being said, all of this extra metal influence and stuff, the aggregate result to me is like a really long way around arriving back at like Slavic Symph Black, you know? Like, the bulk of this music is pretty immediately comparable to, like, some of the uh, some of the more droning Nocturnal Mortem stuff, or Dub Buck, or Kataxu. Uh, usually more minimal. Oh, um, I could hear Kataxu. This yeah, guy probably yeah. loves Kataxu, because that was a, a blog spot thing that was huge with, like, cool guys from outside the black metal scene. Yeah, or like Blood of Kingu and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, Blood of Kingu is a Sanko band with uh, death metal guitars. Yeah, synths too, though, doesn't it? Maybe, but just in the way that there's like a synth in Hate Forest. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, so what I'm getting at is like the result of incorporating all these bizarre influences, what is the actual resulting sound? It's something pretty close to, you know, straight up uh, Slavic symphonic black metal from like the late nineties, early two thousands. But then there's something highly specific that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we're going to listen to this sample and then I'm going to I'm going to show you guys the comparing sample from this other band. We're going to do it very quickly uh, because I want it fresh in your head because I am fucking amazed that this guy is I will put money down a huge fan of this other artist. But let's listen to the beginning of the first kind of real song glowing gray. Excuse me. Glowing. <laughs> it's hard to say. Glowing gray gaze. Uh, so let's listen to the beginning of this, and then I will introduce something real quick, and you will be blown away by the similarities. So that is actually really cool. Uh, you know, you've got the uh, the sort of racing drum machine and the cool, simplified pagan black metal riff with those elaborate layers of synths all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's listen to a band called Helvetto that I like a lot. Yeah. And we're going to go to an early record by Helvetto, uh, the record In Arms of Kirby and Phantom, and let's listen to a sample off Color of My Blood.
Can you tell me the difference between these two pictures? Um, uh, Gates of Dawn uh, turns the drums down a little bit, gives them a more solid sound, smooths it over, uh, simplifies the layering a bit, and boosts the keys in the front to do a recurrent pop hook. But, um, no, that's the, like... That yeah, is to a T, the same. This what what uh, Gates of Dawn has streamlined the Helvetto thing and made it more sort of palatable for yes a mass audience. The, yeah. Literally, I the, mean a small ma- a small mass, yeah. but for more people, for, the the <laughs> for moment, more people than schizophrenics in Eastern Europe. Seriously, three seconds into glowing gray gaze, I was like, "This is Helvetto." I texted you the moment it hit, mm-hmm. and I was like. Dude, this is just Helvetto. And then I started frantically looking for comparison samples to throw into this. Um, so there's there's stuff that's undoubtedly even closer to that that I could have found. But Helvetto's discography is like 30 fucking albums. So I just went with something relatively comparable. But the whole idea is the same. The, uh, the this kind of racing blast beat, the uh, sort of elaborate corded stuff going on uh, on the guitars, but still relatively simple riffs, mm-hmm. technically. And then the focus being on the layered symphonic elements. Now, like you said, Gates of Dawn strips it down, uh, simplifies and streamlines it. But the essence of the idea is there. And it is so close that I will my hand to God, I will contact this guy behind this project, show him this, and I will put money down. I will put fucking money down. There is no way I am wrong about this one. No, or we found a guy that isn't. arrived at exactly the same idea somehow, you know, <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting. So, you know, like, so what do we, you know, the question is, what is the, you know, what's the, Right, there are two ways of looking at what's going on here. So the spicier or more cynical take, which I guess I've already somewhat suggested, is this is underground mining. That is, you find something deep within the most bizarre recesses of committed subculture, and you produce a version of it that is more now and that will appeal to people from outside that subculture. Mm -hmm. Um, That said... Um, the more charitable reading, and it's possible that both of these exist at once, right, is that this guy is doing a service, right? This is an unknown project. Uh, perhaps in future interviews, he'll call attention to his influence by them and point them out to us and to people as a band worth paying attention to. In a sense, a project like this revives the memory of old stuff, right? Or it could. Mm-hmm. And it's... um. And the streamlining has something to it, right? The Helvetto points at this in every way, points at this idea of, like, black metal as this densely woven, ecstatic, textural kind of stuff. But there's certain things about the way it's produced, certain artifacts of the time and the very limited resources this guy had, Mm -hmm. like janky digital production, that just make it a lot more difficult to listen to some of some to some degree that makes it cooler to some degree that actually just makes it worse right you know what i mean 
No, I think like this can be listened to in the Helvetto points at electronic music. This can be listened to as one listens to really intense electronic music, and that's cool. Like uh, as as kind of harsh as I'm being to some degree, I may come back to this record a lot. Yeah. No. I. I in a in a very rare move for me. Uh, I'm not going to take the cynical take on this um, because the reality is like Helvetto is such an unknown thing. I mean, even for me, I've only listened to a handful of records of his over the years, but they've made a big impression on me. And, you know, presuming this guy has listened to Helvetto and has internalized that influence. I think that's a great thing. Because I've never really heard anything that sounds like Helvetto until this. Um, and I think that that's a really cool idea. I mean, Helvetto is kind of like fundamentally just based on the idea of skitzed out over educated Graveland, in a sense. You know what I mean? It's like, because the guy behind it, if I recall, he's got like an actual degree in orchestral composition. So the That's shit bizarre. Yeah. So this guy is like, I believe because it he's, doesn't sound like it. <laughs> well, you can hear it more on the later records where the production's yeah. a little bit tighter. Yeah. Um, but you can tell, especially listening to later albums, like it's so ornate and mm-hmm. the way the symphonic stuff is assembled is more like classical music. It's not smooth, oh. contiguous melodies. It's, you know, aggressive clashing, um, mm-hmm. musical idea, it, it, it's more in the vein of like actual Wagner and Stravinsky, not just mm-hmm. like the, the Xeroxed idea of it we have in the metal that's, scene. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll have to listen to that again. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd be really into it. Like I could turn you on to like a couple records that are a little bit more like metal, <laughs> a little bit mm-hmm. more like Graveland and stuff. You'd probably get really into it. It's a good way to like get yourself into like the really crazy ambitious shit later on. But, um, but no, wrapping back around, I think this part is really great by Gates of Dawn. There's definitely moments where I've wanted to listen to Helvetto, but it's like just too fucking much sometimes because it's just this constant assault of so many different layers and it's so much very to keep track assaulting. Of. It's Helvetto is very committed to the old school idea of black metal as inherently assaulting, even if what you're doing is primarily textural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Now, he's kind of, and that's one of the things that makes it cool but it also means that it's kind of uh the internal tension is maybe preventing the full expression of what's really unique about that band exactly but there's absolutely times where it's like i want to listen to helvetto but if i could just get it like smoothed out and simplified a little bit more i'll absolutely take that and here he's doing that and really he's not losing much in the translation it's conveying the same atmosphere and the same intensity just in a way that's a little bit better for everyday listening, you know? <laughs> yeah, which you can't knock. And um, and for a kind of transforming environments in the way that ambient music does. Alvetto Al- is, is it's there, it's assaulting you, it's an independent entity. This... Right, uh, Gates of Dawn sort of uh, can seep into and uh, reshape an environment or an experience. Yeah, um, like yeah, yeah. The best electronic stuff. Um, and, you know, a, a, an interesting thing also, uh, there may be fewer layers here than in the Helvetto, but there are a lot. 
And yeah. the way he's mixed it is really good at suggesting depth. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's like burbling kinds of there's like this constant burble of frenetic noise just under the most clearly discernible lines. Right? Mm-hmm. Like we can pick up on the main synth hook, we can pick up on the kind of rhythm guitar underneath, and then there's just all this other shit. So um let's get into predatory gods. So this track has, you know, your sample had more of an ecstatic vibe with that pronounced hook. This one's a little more stern. Um, and the fact that he can nail a, a more a feel like this makes me, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, now I'm going to listen more. Uh, um, now I'm going to listen with more open ears, even to the most deliberately kitsch parts, like the end of that last sample you played, right? Where it kind of goes, uh, yeah, yeah. like almost sounds like Calypso or whatever. Right? <laughs> um, it's uh, so so. This track is a here is uh, Stern Gates of Dawn, and the melodies are very simple. So focus on the uh, just massive layering. So, was that a glockenspiel? No, I don't know. I, 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 I don't I, know what instruments are. <laughs> I, I, I don't either. I only have a vague idea of one what, what one might be. But um, <laughs> basically, there's a really cool thing. So, so the simple flute melody, right? He, he emphasizes the flute, the synth flute as an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which definitely connects it to those Slavic symphonic black bands you were talking about. But, um, do do do. Do, 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 do. So kind of a filmy mood music kind of melody, 
right? Maybe a little bit archaic kind of sounding. Um, and it's got, it's doubled by this bell sound under it that's like, um, or maybe it's supposed to be like a harp or a kithara or something, like a lute. Um, but it's it's got this more percussive, almost bell chiming string synth under it that's really cool. Uh, and that whole sequence is, you know, it's kind of like summoning. It's a lot like the early martial industrial type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but under all that, there's a couple other things going on. Um, there's like, uh, there's this insistent rhythm guitar pulse to it. He's mm-hmm. like, it's not trem. There's like this pulsed rhythm guitar happening that sounds like it's rhythmically punctuated in some way. Well, are uh, you and, talking about the uh, the end after the rhythm switch where he's doing that like down picked riff? No, no, in the in the din that of the continuous oh, thing that okay. happens yeah. for most of that sample. Um, to, maybe it's a sound like this music creates ghost sounds, which is really cool. So I can't yeah. tell. Maybe he's just trem picking. Maybe it's just like one note watery trem picking. But um, or one chord trim, but it sounds like there's funk picking or something. Like it sounds like my brain is hearing like Thelohun Ginjit by King Crimson. <laughs> like he's just doing this kind of like rapid like frip guitar, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean it's like- and, and that's it, that's possibly just like the time I thought I was still hearing uh thought I, I was still hearing sort of like uh like um harsh te- harsh su- agrotech techno and it turned out to be the subway extraction vent um. <laughs> well i mean it i mean that's one of the cool things about lo-fi recording i mean as much as i i tend to shit on sort of artificial lo-fi recording you can get good stuff out of it like just those sort of ghost artifacts that pop up from packing lo-fi recording with way too much reverb and delay you know, you get the waveforms kind of bouncing off each other, creating harmonics that aren't actually there. Um, I mean, I've, d- I've done music like that that you've listened to, <laughs> where you were like, what's that weird harmonic thing you're doing? It's like, no, I just threw a bunch of reverb patches on it. <laughs> That's why it sounds like that. Um, but I, I, I get what you mean. You see, this is where we get into one of the other theses I have about this record, which is like kind of any single point of it points very directly at something else. Like, yes. um, like for instance, my first sample, obviously the Helvetto thing here, like the whole flute melody and the way everything wraps around that is extremely summoning. I actually hadn't read that in your notes, but yeah, that's totally like a summoning thing. Um, so in one sense, I mean, you can take that a couple different ways. You can say right. dismissively, oh, this is like a pastiche, but I mean, you know, pastiche right. is kind of its own art form. And if it all works together well. naturally, no, no, you, you get what I'm saying. It's like yeah. if if all these influences, these distinct referential influences mm-hmm. inter interlock and interact with each other in a way that yeah. feels very contiguous. Yeah that is something significant in and of itself. It means there's a guy here who's realizing certain connections that maybe other people haven't. Yeah, that's true. And I think he is not, this is not a stitched together patchwork of stuff. It is, 
it is constantly signaling, like directly referencing some cool reference point, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the part of it that's um, very internet, right? Um, although I suppose we're very internet. We're on the internet. We're a podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, and we also constantly like making reference points to things that are cool. So, you know, um, uh, or that we think are cool. Yeah, but right? we're not released so, on um, vinyl yet. We're going to hit up Death Hymns and have him put out a, <laughs> a, 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 a 3x 12 inch release of one of our episodes on vinyl. Oh, God. Yeah. Every one of them. I want every one of them on <laughs> um, the uh, um But, like, so it's not. So although there is this referential thing, it is all woven together, and he is hearing those inner relationships between these influences. I think that's indisputable. One indication of it is, you know, honestly, even the fucking logo relates to the sound, right? Mm -hmm. One A word you could use for this that we've used for a few times for different bands, such as Mongrel's Cross, but like Horror Vacui, right? Yeah. Any space that can be filled will be filled, and that is a name that that was that it can be referred to like the ornamentation on cathedrals but it's originally used to refer to the kind of uh norse knotwork and tracery stuff right which his logo is like has a super exaggerated version of that that then like blends into like flame mm -hmm. and actually gothic cathedral kind of stuff at the top of it yeah. so this is it's it's a very um it's a lot of stuff being woven into a very complex homogenous texture, which sounds paradoxical, but you know what I mean? Like, no, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, complex homogenous texture is black metal. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay. So my next one, uh, encircled by roses. Uh, so the opening of this, this is going to be a little bit simpler than the uh, the first sample that I took. So the opening of this is very Midnight Betrothed. It's kind of goofy. I've got affection for it, but I can definitely acknowledge it as goofy. The rest of the sample is interesting because, you know, drums and guitars really take a backseat to a really intricate, cool interaction between a flute synth and a clean guitar. Um. Again, very Helvetto, this sort of like dueling lead instrument thing that isn't really adhering to the time signature of everything going on under it. Um, and this really, you know, I like the rest of this record, but this is one of those instances that proves to me that, okay, this guy can really take this to the next level. We know that he can write solid pagan black metal riffs. We know he can do the sort of, Slavic uh, synth black thing but this to me is evidence of a spark of something really special in here
So I guess it's not a flute and a clean guitar. It's a flute and a piano. It's just, I mean, it's hard to tell because it's buried in so many layers. But I really like the, the constant interaction between these symphonic voices, this sort of dueling lead thing, but presented in kind of a legitimately sophisticated way. Um, obviously, so the opening is like, okay, that's a little bit silly. But then when we get into the main bulk of the music, okay, there's something cool going on here. The idea of dedicating this big block of time to just this very granular, very direct interaction between these two instruments, you know, with everything else reduced to kind of a a backing motif. And I think that's kind of exciting. That's, yes, the ability to step out from the dense textures and put something in the foreground when he wants to. Exactly, because I think that, especially in this, you know, this scene that it's this project is somewhat related to, this, uh, you know, Instagram kind of tape black stuff, there is a tendency to rely on textures, Um, which, of course, you know, we we love textures. They're important to black metal. However, there's certain ways of doing textures. There's certain big chords that you can do that are always going to sound fucking good. I mean, at this point with access to the internet, we know how to make something sound like, a, you know, like a senior of worship thing and just make it sound good. Make it sound enjoyable, but throw some, you know, throw some unique reverb on there in a way that makes it different from the other guys. Reverb. Exactly. But to, pull back on that and to decisively say, okay, we've got these two lead instruments and everything is going to rest on the interaction between these two. That's a much more ambitious move than most of these guys do. And it really kind of like puts himself out there because that can fail. That has a risk of failure in the way that the more textured stuff really doesn't. And I think that's significant. Yeah. And there's a ballsy move in having it be flute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going like the the most the the infamous weak link of many a black metal album is the synth flute. And th- there are places where I'm looking for the flute to hit. Right. You know, there are certain parts where I'm like, you know, at a Crota record, I'm like, oh yeah, here comes that flute. Right. But um, it, it it's it's but even there, there's plenty of you know uh, questionable flute moments. Right. It's a difficult sound to make convincingly on, uh, you know, any kind of synth. It, uh, it's a inherently everyone has will associate it with goofy video game soundtracks or whatever, right? But to hang your hang the weight on putting that in the foreground is cool, and he does that throughout the record again and again. He uses the flute as the lead. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So let's see. How else do we get to the the next sample? Well, there are a couple ways. Um, uh, why don't we just go? You said like big blocks, right? Um, we've talked a lot about the solidity of this music, kind of right. It kind of becomes a lot of music, especially black metal, is a process. This music often feels like material, right, or like literal atmosphere in the sense of like mist of certain kind like strange glowing mist hanging around you right mm-hmm. um it's not moving in the way that a lot of black metal songs drive forward even stuff that's very atmospheric um 
So let's listen to Attics of Mind. Um, it's a kind of intensity, and it's intensity not as, uh, you know, thrust or frenzy or drive. It's intensity just as this, like, heavy hanging uh, material presence.
I don't know, man. Pan flute might be going a little bit far for me. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there a like there's like a flute there's like a cutoff within the domain of flute? Yeah. Within woodwinds, there are places man dare not tread. <laughs> uh but what if he is a sort of uh uh, a sort of a placid but mischievous fawn in the, uh, <laughs> you know, gambling about in the misty veils. Um, uh, it's, you know, so as the, uh, so the, yeah, pan flute, it is a pan flute at the end, you're right. Um, but it's so, a lot of, like a lot of the tones on this, they're really not, I mean, really not intended as substitutes for the original tones the sound is that's a synth pan flute and it exists within its own sort of vocabulary in weird kind of fringe digital synth music right so a synth pan flute is um and and it's a particular kind of spiraling line um and it's really similar to a couple of the more uh, martial industrial tracks by Coil. Um, in particular, like I'm thinking of like a, a particular track or two from the end of Horse Rotor Vader, I believe. Let me double check that right now. I did not look it up ahead of time. Um, no, sorry, it's got to be the end of Scatology. Um, uh, it's like it's either the first five minutes after death or um, the other one that sort of pairs with it, which is uh, no fuck. I just what what even? Hang on. Just honestly, nobody fucking cares. Nobody fucking cares, dude. <laughs> 